Hello there, welcome to Incremental's podcast series Exploring the Multiverse. In this series, I, Maor Sadra, CEO at Incremental, interview industry experts and thought leaders about hypothetical what-if, possible and impossible changes coming to our industry. In today's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of hosting Luis de la Camera, VP of Marketing at Rovio. Luis brings a ton of experience in game marketing. We spoke about Gen Z's, AAA's, free-to-play and more. Please note that all opinions shared in this episode are of Luis himself and do not represent the official opinions of Rovio. So we're going to start. Hey, Luis, how are you? Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Maard. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be with you, with you today and with all your listeners. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really like uh, my pleasure. And we've met in the past, so I know you have quite the impressive background. But for the sake of the listeners, you want to maybe introduce yourself, background, and what you do today. Sure. Uh, so hi, everyone. Um, my name is Luis de la Camara. I'm a, um, a senior executive in, in the games industry. I've been in the games industry for around 15 years now. I um, started as an intern in EA back in 2006. Um, but... Um, But sort of grown from there little by little um, across different experiences different companies I would say about the first half of my career was in console gaming um, worked in international uh, product marketing uh, type of roles um, for for console games um, primarily for two 2k games um, on on games like Bioshock Borderlands etc but but mostly on NBA 2k franchise for those of those who like that sports uh, sports franchise um I then in 2013 pivoted to uh, mobile gaming where I joined gameloft and um, uh, worked in a various numerous roles within marketing and marketing leadership roles um at games like at game companies like um, King um, scopely um, and now rovio plus some other smaller companies as well in um, in in different in different roles as well but uh, but yeah mostly mostly dedicated to you to marketing roles uh, but always working very closely with product teams and and sort of my focus has very often been how do we bridge that gap between product and marketing cool wow that's uh indeed by the way when we met the first time and you were giving me kind of like the background I was like okay this guy's for real um really really know your stuff by the way are you a gamer like is that what drew you into this world so um I I obviously grew up playing games I think uh, for those of us that grew up in the 80s and 90s games was was huge especially when consoles came into the house um back in the Atari days Nintendo uh, Super Nintendo Genesis uh, or, or Mega Drive depending where you are in the world how you call it um, um Nintendo 64 etc um, those were all very sort of pivotal in my childhood and sort of my upbringing um and and obviously that was uh you know a big hobby of mine and, and a lot of my friends um, I would say that I didn't know they didn't necessarily get into the games industry and purely because of my passion for games just because I also was just really passionate about the entertainment industry in general um, was it passionate about marketing and as a business as a business major um, you know I could have gone into finance I could have gone into different areas but I, I felt like marketing and entertainment industry was gonna be the most sort of creative opportunity for me but um, uh, yeah funny enough uh, many years later it turns out that marketing is all about numbers and math so mm-hmm. I guess I got I guess the jokes <laughs> on me. No, but let's let's face it, our lives would be very, very different if we went into like finance and so on. We would need to wear suits. Let's start with that. Yeah, for sure. that that already changes things instead of wearing hoodies and uh, and 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 sweatpants. <laughs> yeah. 
Cool. So, um, Luis, the, the concept of our this podcast series is like going into wild hypotheticals, okay? Some of these are extremely unlikely to ever happen. Some of these could. Like, we've been in this industry. We know that, like, this industry sometimes surprises us. I always say change is the only constant uh, in this industry. So, um, yeah, we're going to kick it off with the first question. What if console games learn from mobile gaming and shift to free-to-play, basically AAA going free-to-play? Wow, that's, um, that's quite interesting. I mean, I think, um, uh, first of all, there, there are already a lot of examples of this happening. I mean, we have, um, you know, the likes, obviously, of Fortnite being one of the most famous. Um, we have Apex Legends. I think there's some startups now um, that have come out um, um, focused on, on this. And... And, you know, it's just uh, more and more games, um, you know, in, in this direction. You've even seen some, some, some of the mobile game companies starting to go towards um, mobile, uh, sorry, console and PC free-to-play. Um, and, and I think the reason for that is that, you know, over time, there, there is clearly an understanding that games as a service and sort of the long-term view is really where, is really where most of the benefit is. Um, financially and 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 in terms of stability, if you think of even in the in the more sort of traditional AAA space, um, you know the games that really do well um, are franchises, are games like you know NBA 2K, which I had a chance to work on back in the day, um, FIFA, Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed, um, uh, Grand Theft Auto, and with GTA Online, which is already um, a games as a service at the end of the day. Um, but, but kind of time and time again, you see that these franchises that they were probably, that are quite, you know, once they find a lot of success, um, the, the publishers tend to want to continue to put out new releases. And in a way I see that sort of as a, as a, as sort of a step in the direction of games as a service. And then, you know, obviously with, with console AAA, we have, um, DLCs that come out afterwards. And so, um, again, maybe those are sort of like baby steps in the direction of mobile free, sorry, of console free to play. But, um, but I do think that, you know, it's sort of inevitable that you're going to get more and more, um, game companies focused on that. And so, um, the same way we've had console companies coming to, to mobile, um, I think a great example of that has been sort of Activision with Call of Duty and Call of Duty Mobile, um, and 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 with Blizzard, um, in terms of uh, most recently Diablo, Immortal, but also with with Hearthstone in the past, um, I think you're going to start to see more and more mobile gaming first companies going towards PC and console. Um, Gameloft was an example where they've done that with Asphalt franchise, uh, and one of the franchises I worked on when I first got into mobile, um, really great racing um, arcade racing franchise, and um, and they've seen to do well with Switch. Um, so. So I think like at the beginning, so in 2013, I pivoted from console gaming to, to mobile. And I remember at the time, a lot of people in the, in the, in the console industry were like, were thinking I was, you know, kind of crazy. Like, why would you go to mobile? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and I, I, I think like at the time and even, you know, many years after a lot of sort of AAA game fans have always been very skeptical of, of sort of the, um, you know, monetization mechanics of free to play and how they're destroying gaming, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, as, as time has gone by, that's proven that, you know, 
free to play is not destroying gaming. Um, quite the opposite. Free to play is a, a place where a lot of players get lots of value and the vast majority get tons of value for absolutely zero dollars. Um, so you want to what a great entertainment proposition that is and great value proposition. Now, obviously, there are a lot of players then that do spend and those that spend do spend quite a bit. Um, so so I think like we're starting already to see a shift in mentality in some of those sort of like core um, core AAA game fans. Um, and, and then you're getting these breakout hits. Um, um, Fall Guys, for example, has been a huge success. I mean, it wasn't free to play, but but now they've moved to free to play. Um, you know, and, and so I think what's going to happen is that, um, there's going to be sort of a, a move in, in both directions. So, so console coming more towards free to play mobile, mobile companies kind of going more to cross platform, um, and, and, uh, and sort of, there'll be a bit of a, a mix between experts on both ends of, of the industry kind of coming together and working together more. So, so let's, you know, let's look a little bit at the multiverse. Let's, let's imagine two futures or actually like two, um, two uh, verses. One, GTA 6 comes out. It's a premium game. You buy it online or you buy it at the shop. And then eventually probably you'll have uh, downloadable content uh, online and so on. In another, in another uh, multiverse, GTA 6 comes out. It's open. It's free. And then only if you want to buy upgrades, you basically... Again, go like free uh, purchases within the game. Which one does better? So it's interesting that you use Grand Theft Auto as the example, um, because I think in that specific scenario, you might actually probably get a better deal with going premium first and then opening up later um, or, or having because of the fact that everyone will be so excited normally with a, like a Grand Theft Auto game because they are so spaced apart that I think that there will be such a large number of players that would want to get, you know, that would be willing to pay, you know, $60, $70 to pay. And so I think in that specific scenario, you know, if you were to model out both outcomes, I'm assuming that probably the kind of premium first, but then sort of, you know, um, uh, microtransactions after um, is probably the best scenario for, for, for Grand Theft Auto specifically. Um, but... I think if you were to ask with most other games, um, if there is real uh, a real sort of content treadmill that can be delivered by the gaming company, um, that there will be you know new events, content, um, experiences that players can enjoy. I think ultimately over time, um, if there's a long term is a long term vision for that for the game, definitely the um, free to play model would probably be more beneficial. You get more more people on board if you can really sort of um, uh, retain and 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 um, make those players more loyal um, over time. You're probably going to get a, a better deal. But but funny enough, I think GTA is one of those where I think people are willing to pay anything just to play GTA. So, By the way, uh, yeah. calling calling GTA um, spaced like space is the understatement of the yeah. millennium. <laughs> I think that. Um, probably the next Game of Thrones will come out before GTA 6, which is like, yeah. I would be surprised. I mean, I actually, way back in the day, I worked, um, when I worked for for 2K Games, um, 2K and and, and Rockstar are obviously part of the same parent company, Take-Two Interactive. And and um, um, I, for, for a couple of years, was, in, uh, was sharing an office with some um, Rockstar colleagues. Um, and I would see, the, there were like some marketing colleagues for Rockstar, and I would see sort of, everything they had to go through 
when they were launching a game um and it was just like nuts it was intense like you know they would have maybe the hauser brothers change the marketing creative literally the day before a, a nationwide tv campaign was about to go go live and you know scrambling to stop the press and and change you know um change the so change the the creative or whatever last minute because you know the the one of the hauser brothers was inspired on with a different color or different character or something like but but you know it sort of goes to show how how much they craft the experience everything from the marketing through the to the actual game itself but um but you know funny enough you know going back to this thing about games as a service and free to play i mean gta online is you know still super strong and and it's based off G, uh, gta 5 and you know gta 5 as you said how long ago was that that came out i think that was when Oof. Uh, you know was that just like the last year of ps3 or something like that uh, the next box 360 mm -hmm. yeah. i'm pulling um, it out 2013 2013 right so so now 10 years on and and you know gta online it wasn't obviously available at the beginning but it's based off that game and 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 it's still just you know printing money so again like you know whether whether it's free to play per se but but definitely games as a service is definitely the future for for all games and now now i'm sure there's some like purists out there that will worry that if we were to go to a full free-to-play model you know, you would you would be the gaming publishers and developers would be less encouraged to make games like Bioshock, um, you know, games that are very story driven um, and 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 sort of um, you know artistic and and almost like a movie um, or even better than a movie um, in that sense. But but I still think that there's always going to be room for 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 games like that, and you know, there'll be subscription services um, such as X or there there are right with Xbox um, Pass, and so. I think some of those games will find a home um, uh, through those subscription services. So, um, so, so you know, like people always resist change, and of course, there's a lot of people will always say, like, no, this is again ruining games. This is uh, not economical, and so on. And the whole theme of this podcast series, by the way, is this, you know, extremely unlikely what ifs. You know, GTA Six is likely not going to be free to play when it launches. But if you and I have been in this industry for a while. We know that the likelihood of GTA 7 going out as free to play is actually pretty good. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think. But again, it goes back to you know. We will, the, by the way, we will both be dead by then because that's. The <laughs> <way>. <laughs> or, well, I don't know. Maybe we'll have grandchildren though. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the, the the well, but it goes back to sort of um, how much you know how much um, uh, Rockstar has cared about their. Um, their product and how much they've crafted the experience and crafted the marketing around it. And, and they've built a reputation over time. And, and as long as they've been able to, they, they're able to continue to deliver on that reputation. Um, uh, yeah, they have, they have, uh, they have um, the future is, is bright for, for them um, for that series, at least. And, and, you know, it's, it's been, it's amazing because if you think about it, like they've then, they've then that, that sort of aura of excellence and quality spills over to other games they make right um like red dead redemption has been you know you know quite a big success i mean they've had other games that haven't been so successful um i think midnight midnight club which is like a racing game wasn't exactly super successful it had some sort of like table tennis game i think back in the day so they've done some strange things as well with the, within that brand but but ultimately you know they they've taken care of the they've taken care of their franchise and and um and and obviously that that means that um they'll they'll probably have many, a lot of, uh, you know, bright future ahead. But, you know, coming back to this idea of games of service, I think, 
that's what's really it matters is when you make a game, whether it's for mobile or whether you're making it for PC or console, um, or having this vision of this is a marathon, not a sprint. I'm going to really be successful, not by, you know, having some great launch launch day numbers, but really I'll be successful if this game is still a success, you know, 10 years on. Um, and, and, and for us at Rovio, we've seen that, right. We have uh, a game called Angry Birds Friends, which is, you know, recently, I think like a year ago, um, did 10, 10 year, had its 10th year anniversary. Um, and, and, you know, it's still, I think it's our third, uh, best game in terms of revenue, um, within our portfolio. And, you know, so like a, a game that's a decade old, still doing that well and actually growing year on year. Um, and then, um, and Angry Birds 2 came out, um, I believe in 2015, um, so we're talking about seven, eight years old now. Um, and, and it's, you know, our, our flagship game, it still, it still produces the most amount of, of revenue and, and Angry Birds Dream Blast, which is our second best game in terms of revenue a, a, as we speak, although who knows next year, because the game's on fire and it's growing and it's had, you know, it's best growth in the last six months than it's ever had, you know, in the, in, you know, in the, in the around three to four years that the game's been around. So, so again, like thinking about, the about the sort of the the marathon view of of um of making and and um and operating games is is really the mindset that I think is gotta it is gonna be coming to to console and PC and is already existing um in in mobile. Um I think you know Candy Crush saga um being just amazing um an amazing um uh, example of of growth many years after it was launched. Um so so, uh, you know, hats off to all the folks at King who've been able to really grow that game. Um, and so, so yeah, I think, I think that's, um, that's really the, the thing that is most interesting, exciting to me is that, you know, that there will be a, a sort of um, merging of, of worlds between console, PC, and, and mobile um, in terms of delivering, you know, great experiences um, in a games as a service um, mentality. Cool. And with that, you know, we were saying that we're grandpas, or at least we're going to be grandpas when GTA 7 comes out, which allows us to maybe segue to the next question that's about more Gen Zs. Going to the next question, which is kind of like related to the like point of privacy and so on. You know, we are so from what I heard, you were you're you're an 80s kid. I'm an 80s kid as well. But uh, when we look at like kids today or younger uh, people, the the way they're actually reacting to ads is completely different than the way we we were now what is studies basically start showing us that like ads as we know it you know display search basically are like the gen z or younger are just not responsive to those like zero percent response how does that change like the world yeah it's funny that you raised this this is actually a conversation i've had with my marketing team um this earlier um in 2022 so so now we're in 2023 but but a few months ago we were in 2022 so so we were having kind of near the end of the year we were having this conversation because you know we are working on some some games in the pipeline that would likely be targeting gen z audience and most of our current live games you know are either targeting millennials gen x or boomer generation um and and those three generations you know, you know, Facebook ads, ads on App Love and Unity, Google, Google ads, uh, TikTok, etc. These these older generations um, have been very responsive to that, and that's why UA, in its most traditional sense, 
over the last five to seven years has been has been such a huge part of our marketing initiatives and where we've put so much of our of our investment um, as you know game companies and this is not just a Rovio thing obviously any any mobile free to play game company really is is most likely spending the vast majority of their marketing dollars on on let's say direct response traditional user acquisition um, specifically I would say Facebook for many years until maybe ATT happened and then obviously now it's maybe more spread across different ad networks um and and so we already started to notice this from our own user research that exactly what you're saying where where the way gen z discover product and specifically in the games industry discover games is quite a different approach right like you know you might have a um uh, a a puzzle gamer um who is you know browsing through you know maybe um, is a, a woman in her in Oklahoma and in and you know who's 55 years old and she's browsing Facebook and then she sees an ad and she clicks on that ad starts to play the game loves the game starts spending in the game great this person then gets tagged and we you know and then the and the and these networks help us find these types of users in the future um, but we know that you know that these Gen X players are not really kind of first of all they're not using the same platforms when it comes to uh, social media, et cetera. So, so Facebook, for example, is probably not the best place to find um, Facebook social network. I mean, is probably not the best place to find these Gen Z. Even, even Instagram might not be the best place. TikTok, yeah, maybe that's a good place. Snapchat, maybe that's a good place, et cetera. Um, um, and maybe, you know, in other games, maybe some hyper-casual games as well, they're still playing. But if they're not responding to the ads, then then you start to think about, okay, well, why, why is that the case or what can we do? And so that's been my message to the game, to sorry, to the marketing teams, um, is we need to think or understand better how these players and this generation discover content, choose the content that they want to play and, and fall in love with content. And, you know, I have a, I have a, I have a son who's eight years old. Um, he spends all his, all his free time. Um, if he's not spending his free time playing soccer and, and but riding a bike, he's watching YouTube, he's playing Minecraft, um, or, um, you know, uh, you know, watching videos about FIFA Ultimate Team or whatever it is, right? So like, but but so much of it is watching content on YouTube. Um, you know, I don't let him really use TikTok yet. He's only eight years old. But um, if I ever use TikTok, he's always sitting next to me. He's obsessed with it. Um, again, a reason why I don't let him use it yet on his own. But um, but these types of channels or social media channels, it's it's really about content, right? And and the the what I've noticed is that younger generation they they will feel very um, influenced by by content creators. They'll be influenced by what's trending and they'll be very influenced by sort of their group of friends and what their group of friends are saying. So, so the way we market our games is going to be slightly different. Now, I still think we can be very performance driven, um, but but we still need, we need to rethink sort of it's it's less about last click um, and it's it's more about, okay, what content have we put out there? And how are we measuring all that different content that's out there? And how how much are we seeing, you know, what are we seeing the like the the users respond to? And I know you guys have a a tool around how you look at incrementality. Obviously, those types of tools will probably be more more useful as we start kind of moving and shifting um our our our, our let's say marketing dollars to to doing media campaigns or doing influencer campaigns or content or content creation campaigns that are um that are maybe less 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 last click focused and more sort of 
let's say passive marketing that over time creates more um you know um appeal for a game to be played and downloaded and so you know like so by the way I'm, I'm actually happy that you guys are thinking about it so, so it's not such a hypothetical in a way and i also have by the way like a son who is nine by the way same minecraft roblox by the way as well okay. a lot <laughs> in youtube youtube is everything now there unlike like display so display you can run continuously you know you can run ads on google on facebook and whatever for like continuously with influencers it doesn't really work i guess very well if you are the brand featured on mr beast every single week and you know because effectively like the efficiency would go down and mr beast probably as an influencer himself wouldn't want to feature the same brand every week it's an opportunity cost in a way now you come from a lot of like brands and ip okay gaming but very big well known do you think the the way marketing would work would be different means a lot more effort at the creating the brand stage rather than continuously running performance marketing and essentially letting the message and the positioning be um, trickled down with influencer to influencer groups of friends to group of friends yes actually i think that um what what matters here is both creating ip and brand but at the same time thinking about the product you're building so one of the this when you know at the beginning of this uh, of this chat i mentioned how a lot of my career has been thinking about how bridging that gap between marketing and product i i actually think it's even more important that you know you you start off with who's your audience when you're building a product because in these let's say for this gen gen z example um yes you need to you know think about the characters that you're building thinking about the world that you're building and how how uh, players over time of that specific audience will fall in love with that IP and and that becomes a much bigger part of their life. But even the way that the game is designed in terms of the of of it being watchable, because um, we, we are in more of a watchable, let's say, generation where you know they want to watch games. They don't only want to play games, they want to watch games. Um, we also want, you know, they there there's more of a, in this younger generation, there's more of like a desire to share content you know and not only not only professional share content but let's say um you know individuals want to share content and so how is content more shareable you know i'm not rediscovering the wheel here fortnite's been great at this um you know obviously minecraft's been amazing at this and and there's a whole bunch of games out there that have really sort of done this very well so so i would say that combination of really thinking about your ip and and building that ip over time um, and and building it and you know thinking in your audience, but at the same time think about that game design um, and and how that game design is going to really work for sort of content creation and be a quite watchable experience. So that even if you're not playing, you're still enjoying that game in some form or another, even if it's in a passive in a passive way. So um, those are the sort of the two things that I think that game teams really need to be thinking about when they when they are developing games for this younger audience. Do you think, by the way, that um, so again, usually I would ask the question about the hypothetical, like, what do you think the likelihood of this happening? For, but if I hear what you're saying, you're saying this is not a likelihood to happen. This is happening. Okay. Yes, exactly. We are having conversations um, about these topics internally um, and um, for, for new games um, we, when we focus on, on these younger generations. Uh, I think, and, you know, it's just 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 to finish the uh, um I really strongly believe that one of the most important marketing principles is have a deep understanding for your audience and make sure that the products you develop are 
developing their products with the insights and knowledge in that audience. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, this is not something new. This is, you know, back in the forties and fifties or maybe even further back. Um, I just, sometimes I, I feel like we have maybe lost our way in some of these more traditional pillars of marketing. And you know, if you go if you go like twenty years back, I'm sure that there was like a print and TV execs thinking like we're gonna continue our growth uh, trajectory forever, which I guess they were not is correct. Do you, who do you think like which medium is gonna be the most like potentially negatively affected by Gen Z's lack of response to display traditional advertising? That's an interesting one. Um... You know what? I, I I don't know if there's anyone that will necessarily suffer as in as in I think the other audiences still matter and they're still very large. So I think it's many years until we see huge disruptions in that sense. I do think though that um, the incumbents that are currently doing very well with performance marketing, um, you know, if they want to have a slice of the pie of the younger generation, they will need to come up with with new products and new ways of of engaging with those audiences um, or else they will just become sort of, uh, let's say, um, positioned towards older generation audiences, which by the way, so much of mobile content is still focused on those. I think the vast majority of match three games, um, you know, still focus on sort of the baby boomer and Gen X generations. Um, and, and um, you know, I think casual, casual games in general are very much focused on those older generations. And then, and then, um, and then I would say more mid-core games are mostly sort of targeted towards uh, millennial and Gen X. So, um, so I, I do think that even in the mobile games industry or the games industry in general, there's still, um, I think the traditional incumbent um, ad networks um, will still have a really great, robust business. I just feel that, you know, if they are interested in some of these younger generations, they need to, they're, the model that they have today and the product offering they have today is not enough. Now, that being said, so I think Google will do very well because of YouTube. And that's an example, right? Um, I think, you know, the fact that uh, the fact that that Google does have YouTube allows Google to still stay relevant with some of these younger generations. I think TikTok obviously has, you know, will, will grow, has a lot of, you know, if it doesn't get somehow um, <laughs> removed banned. from yeah. Yeah, banned or something <laughs> because of political for political reasons or whatever. Um, I, I feel that TikTok is is obviously going to be a huge place. And then and then, you know, at some point, someone will come and disrupt TikTok. Right. Like we've seen time and time again. And um, and so, you know, we'll see um, we'll see where 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 where, where that ends up. But um, I think whatever company out there that is able to engage that younger those younger audiences, on a regular basis will be the ones best positioned to monetize those audiences through advertising. Um, and by advertising, I use that term very loosely, right? Um, yeah. You know, I'm not talking about necessarily direct response um, ads, but, 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 you know, uh, ways to uh, where companies pay for, for getting their message out to, to the relevant audience. Cool. Now, uh, Luis, um, the whole like name of this series, by the way, is exploring the multiverse, right? We go into hypotheticals and by the way, there is a world, there, sorry, there is like a, a universe out there where Apple is actually cutting a 7% uh, uh, fee and Google is cutting 8% and there's third-party app stores and Gen Z doesn't see ads anymore. Um, what are you doing in a parallel universe? That's a tough <laughs> question. Um, 
what am I doing in one of these multiverses? I don't know. Maybe I'm a startup founder, uh, you know, doing my own, you know, doing my own business. Um, I think one thing that stops me today from 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 being that version of Luis is obviously uh, I have, you know, a kid. Um, I have another one on the way. Um, you know, yes. I have certain costs. Thank you. I have a I have certain cost structures in my life that kind of make it hard to be an entrepreneur today. But uh, but yeah, I think maybe in another kind of parallel world, maybe I would be uh, maybe more entrepreneurial. Um, uh, maybe maybe there's another version of me that I'm in a I'm a VC investor. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe maybe one of those ends up being the future me um, at some point. But today I'm you know very proud of of working with with amazing teams and uh, and 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 really huge brands um, at Rovio. Yeah, you've done pretty well for yourself, by the way. Again, meeting you for the first time, understanding your background was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, Mar. That's, uh, that's uh, feelings mutual, by the way. Cool. Thank you. So, Luis, thank you so much uh, for being our guest. It was a pleasure. Yeah, it was a pleasure. A pleasure um, for me as well. And if um, anyone wants to connect with me, um, they can just hit me up on LinkedIn. So, yeah, just search for Luis de la Camera on on LinkedIn and um, I'm happy to connect. I uh, pretty much connect with everyone since being invited. So cool. So thank you very much again. Cheers. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invite.